in the Gospel of Mark. We're going to be in chapter 9. That's where we left off. We're going to be picking up at verse 30 and going through 41. What we're looking at today, uh, it's actually pretty cool. We're, we're, we're identifying a pattern that's taking place in Mark. Now, sometimes when there's patterns in Scripture, um, it's, it's helpful to kind of know why that pattern's there, why it could be there, what, it's, what that pattern is teaching us. We see repetitive teaching and patterns um, all throughout Scripture, but even in the Gospel of Mark, we're, we're, we're in the middle of a pattern today. And so some of these patterns are, it's just re repetitive teaching. You think, why does God need to say something more than once? Well, he doesn't. Right? If he says something once, it doesn't make it any more important if he says it more than once. But if he does say that something more than once or teach us something in a way more than once, I think it's because we're prone to overlook that truth. We're so prone to overlook it or we're so prone to fight against that sin or whatever it may be speaking to that he, need, he needs to say it over and over again for our benefit. Uh, we must really need to listen to this. Here's the pattern I want us to see today. The pattern we see in Mark is that one, Jesus will predict his death and resurrection. That is followed up by the disciples saying or doing something out of self-interest or pride. And then Jesus teaches about humility. That happens three times in the Gospel of Mark. We've already studied it once. In the previous chapter, in chapter 8, Jesus predicts his death and his resurrection. Immediately following that, number two, is that Peter, out of self-interest, rebukes Jesus for saying that he's going to die. And then, you know, there's an exchange there where Jesus calls him Satan. And then immediately following that, Jesus teaches about self-sacrifice and humility. And so that we're in that same exact pattern right now. Death, death and resurrection, uh, the disciples do something out of pride and, uh, and self-interest, and then Jesus corrects that with a teaching on humility. And then it's going to happen again in chapter 10. So this won't even be the last time that we study this together. So why is this pattern there? Why is that pattern? Why does that happen over and over and over again in the Gospel of Mark? Well, I think the lesson is clear for us. You and I need to keep coming back to the death and resurrection of Jesus. That's why that's a repetitive teaching in Scripture. I think that's pretty obvious. And you and I are prone to pride. We're prone to self-interest. We're prone to make everything that we do in church and in worship, we're prone to make all of that about us. And we're, we all need that teaching on humility and, and denying yourself and self-sacrifice in order to get us focused back on the death and re resurrection of Jesus. That's, that's what we need to hear. That's the repetitive lesson that's taking place in Mark, and that's what we're going to study today. So be on the lookout for those things. Let's, let's get, look, go into the first part right here with verses 30 through 32. It says, They went on from there and passed through Galilee, and he did not want anyone to know, for he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, here it comes, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days, he will rise. But they did not understand the saying and were afraid to ask him. So here they are going through Galilee. Now, by the way, at this point, Mark, this is the last time we're going to hear about Galilee. Galilee is that northern portion of Israel. 
It's the last time we're going to hear about that. And we know that his ministry was wildly popular there. Everywhere he goes, there's crowds of people following him. It's dangerous at times. The scribes and the Pharisees are showing up and hassling him in different places and things like that. But at this point in time, he, de he desires to lay low. We're, we're, we're traveling back through Galilee from doing ministry, and we're kind of laying low. We don't want anybody to know what we're here. And he's taking this as an opportunity to especially invest in the disciples. I want to teach you, and I'm going to circle back to a teaching that you just rejected recently. I want to say it again. The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days, he will rise. Now, it's clear from the text that the, the disciples still aren't on board, right? They're still not on board with what's going on. And we talked about why that is. They don't have a category for this. Their, their worldview doesn't have room for a Messiah that dies and resurrects, okay? So, like, they've seen Jesus raise people back from the dead. They got a category for that, at least. They got to witness a little girl being brought back to life and things like that. And so they, they have a category for that. But if Jesus dies, who's going to raise him back from the dead? Well, hopefully it's not one of us. I'm thinking the disciples are saying that to themselves, right? They're not even always successful trying to cast out a demon. Sometimes they try to do that, and it doesn't pan out well. If Jesus dies, one of us, are we going to bring him back to life? Three days? He's dead three days? That's a long time to be dead, right? And so this moment that Jesus brings this up again, this time Peter knows to keep his mouth shut. Right? The last time he's like, no, Jesus, it's not going to happen like this. Jesus then says, get behind me, Satan, because he's tempting him in the same way Satan tempted him in the desert. But this time Peter knows better. You know what? I think I'm going to keep my mouth shut this time. They did not ask, and they were, they were afraid to ask because this is obviously something Jesus was really passionate about. This was obviously something that meant a lot to him. They knew not to take it lightly. So they weren't going to say anything this time. But, you know, they understood the Messiah as one who would come and establish eternal justice, eternal peace. And so the, the resurrection, even for the Jew in that day, it was understood as something that would exclusively happen at the end of time, just like the same thing that we believe. But they didn't have a category for a resurrection that would take place with this Messiah within human history. So again, their worldview just did not allow for what Jesus to, to be saying to be accepted by them. So what could he, what could he possibly mean by this? You know, if I'm in, if I'm in that situation, I, I would like to think that I would dive into that a little bit more and ask some questions. You know, can we flesh this out a little bit more, Jesus? What, how's that going to look? But the disciples in this moment, they, I just think that they, they, they feel like Jesus was so passionate about this, they just didn't want to question him in the moment in any way, and they just move on to something else entirely. And what they move on to is phase two of that pattern that I mentioned earlier. They're going to do something out of pride and self-interest. They're going to start arguing over who is the greatest amongst the disciples. This is a, a, almost a comical conversation that they're uh, having. Let's, let's, let's read about it in 33 and 34. And they came to Capernaum. And when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And so uh, it's obvious you know, to us reading the, the Gospel of Mark here that Jesus knew what they were talking about. 
So he, that's why he asks them, what, what were you talking about? What, what, what was that conversation uh, about that? And they all decided to, to just keep silent. I mean, you know they weren't silent in the debate, right? They were arguing with one another, who's the greatest? And you've got to know that Peter was the loudest in that argument, right? You can just hear him, you know, just his personality that we see come out in Scripture. You, you can hear him saying something like, hey, you know, were any of you guys... Did, did, did you guys see the transfiguration? Oh, that's right. You weren't invited. You weren't there. <laughs> that was just me, James, and, and John. Uh, but, you know, James and John, did you guys, hey, did you guys get a chance to walk on water with Jesus? Uh, no? No, you didn't? No? Oh, that was just me. That's right. And who got to talk to Moses and Elijah when we were on Mount Hermon in the transfiguration? Oh, yeah, I was the one that spoke up and had a conversation with not, not you guys. You just know that Peter was like, trash talking like this in this conversation but they're literally arguing about who is the greatest how are they arguing about this how childish right we're so tempted in every one of these moments where the disciples do something silly like this we're like oh good grief how silly are these disciples to talk about how great they are and argue with one another who's the greatest i'm glad i'm not immature like those knuckleheads those disciples right because we Christians today, we're nothing like that, are we? We never try to make arguments that we're the greatest or create highlight reels on social media about how great we are compared to everybody else. We would never do anything <laughs> like that, right? <laughs> I mean, we're, we're, we're in an age of just pure self-promotion and narcissism, aren't we? So how, how could we possibly look back at the disciples at a moment like this, they're just having a side conversation. And our generation, we'll, we'll post this stuff about ourselves 24-7. We look back 2,000 years at, and giggle at them, but what would they even do if they looked 2,000 years into the future and saw followers of Jesus, you know, with all the moral grandstanding that takes place online every day, all of the virtue signaling, oh, I care about this more than anybody else, look how virtuous I am. Look at my accomplishments. You know, it's just like for, for us to think that we can look back and claim that they are immature, it's, it's, it's ridiculous. This is so relevant to us. You know, we, we all, we all want to be the best. It's just, in, it's just human nature. It's certainly American. We're number one, right? We want to be the best at everything. We have to establish our superiority. That's just like our attitude. And the problem with that sentiment, the, pol the problem with that cultural idea, is that we, we let that infect our faith at times. And so we got to do everything the best. we got to be better than everyone else. We want to be the person that people aspire to be. We want to set the example. And so we let that infect our Christian faith, and, and so we start to grandstand our Christian faith in the same way. And really, we may not explicitly say we are the greatest, but with our actions and, and our posts and things like that, I wonder how much we are trying to make an argument for ourselves that we are better than everybody else. But that sentiment is sub-Christian. That, that has nothing to do with actual Christianity. It's a, certainly okay to want to do your best or be your best. I want to be my best, right? But what is the heart behind that? Why? Why do you want to do your best? That's a great question to always ask yourself. Why do I want to excel at what I'm trying to accomplish? What's the point? Is it to establish superiority? Is it just about you? What is it about? So, like us, followers of Jesus in that day fought against that pride 
and fought against that self-interest that naturally just kicks into gear with no matter what we're doing. And so Jesus understands that they still don't get it. And so he's teaching about humility here. And I think you and I really need to take this to heart. Like if we're, it, again, I, I mention this routinely at church. Like you can come here and you can listen uh, to the teachings of the Bible. You can listen to a teaching of Jesus. And you can get absolutely nothing out of it. I think growing up, I was the king of coming to church and gaining absolutely nothing from church because I didn't apply what I was hearing to my life. It was just always information for information's sake. So if you really want to change, maybe you didn't plan on coming to church to change today, but now's your opportunity. Here, here's, your, here's your opportunity. This is Jesus talking about humility. And so here's what he says in verse 35. It says, and he sat down and called the 12, and he said to them, again, this is like cl classes in session. The rabbi has sat down, and he's calling his students. And he said to them, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. Let me just read that again, just that, just that part of it. If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. This is another one of those paradoxical teachings of Jesus that are just like when you try to think about it and you know you're kind of like smoke starts coming out of your ears when you try to think about this and contemplate that. Because Jesus often he takes what our understanding is in this world of life in this world and he just turns it completely upside down and says here, there I fixed it. That's how you should think. And this is one of those moments. If anyone would be first, you want to be the greatest? You've been arguing about who's the greatest. If you want to be first, you want to be the greatest, you've got to be last of all, servant of all. And this, this again, it goes, goes along with what, he's, what he has been teaching and what he will be teaching. You want to save your life? Then lose your life. Right? You want to be king of the hill? Everybody wants to be king of the hill? Then make sure everyone gets to the top of the hill before you. That makes you king of the hill. That's the kind of teaching, this is how that would have felt to those listening to Jesus in that moment. You want to be the greatest, then be the servant of all. That will provide you with the ammunition you need if you get in an argument over who's the greatest. Are you serving all? Are you last? You know, when it comes to greatness, it's a question of how do you measure it? How do you measure greatness? Jesus is giving us a completely different measurement to determine if we are great or not so great. And so he's saying, you want to be great? You need to serve. Your life needs to be an act of service to others, taking care of others' needs, putting, putting others before yourself. And of course, Jesus is the ultimate example of this. He gave everything. He came and he gave everything and he died for the sins of the world. He, he served all. He's the suffering servant. So his life explicitly teaches this in his teaching. But I mean, we get, to, we get to see it take place. I mean, he's the definition of greatness. And so if we want to be a great Christian, that's what that means. It's self-sacrifice. It's being last. Do you have these things in your life? Do you view that in, that, in, in your life? We're, we're, we're all called to this, and there's, there's no exceptions to it. 
You know, so every single person here, no matter what stage of life you're in, no matter what career you have, no matter what you're doing, you are being called by Jesus. If you're gonna, if you're gonna call yourself a Christian, if you're gonna associate your, yourself with the Christian movement, you are called to think like this and to live like this. Do you live in a way that would be a servant to all? I mean, this is how the gospel constantly rewires us. That's just not natural, right? We don't naturally, we don't naturally think this way. And so the gospel constantly rewires us to be more empathetic, constantly rewires us to put ourselves last, to be more compassionate, to be more considerate of others. And, and, and our sinful nature is constantly fighting against that, constantly talking ourselves into wandering away from that and putting ourselves first again and putting everybody else last. And so the Bible has to, to go back to this lesson over and over and over again, putting others first. That's why the Bible says if you want to love your neighbor good, love them like you love yourself because we're selfish. We're selfish. You want to love someone, you want to be great at loving others, love them like you love yourself. And that, that's a start. That's what we hear in Scripture because we're so prone to wonder from this. So Jesus now, so, so we've talked about that first part of the pattern. He predicts his death and resurrection. The disciples do something out of, uh, uh, out of pride and, and self-interest. And then Jesus starts to correct it with humility. We're in that third part, and now he has an object lesson. You know, if you want to drive a point home, man, you've got to have an object lesson. Here it is, 90, or 36 through 37. And he took a child and put him in the midst of them. And taking him in his arms, he said to them, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. Whoa. Now, here's something interesting. So this object lesson, he grabs a small child. Uh, where did he get this small child from? This is just kind of something I like to think about. They're in Capernaum. When they're in Capernaum, where are they staying? Well, they're staying at Peter's house when they're at Capernaum because that's where Peter's from. That's where his home is. And so uh, they're at Peter's house. Last time they were there earlier in Mark, we see that Jesus heals Peter's mother-in-law. So we know he's got an even extended family living with him in the house. And so is this Peter's kid? We know that he's married. Is this Peter's child? I, there's obviously no way to, to prove that, but I think that's a kind of an interesting thing to think about, that he's ha he, Jesus wants this object lesson for the disciples, and hey, I want to grab Peter's kid here and use him to teach something. And so I think it's also helpful for us to understand what Jesus is teaching here, to understand how children were viewed back then. Like here, children, man, they, they run, we got movies like Boss Baby for a reason, Right? Children are so valuable, small kids, right? We think innocent, pure. We, we bend over backwards to take care of them and do everything we can. They're so, 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 so valuable. We, we focus so much of our time and thoughts and energy on these kids. I was in, I was in Hobby Lobby yesterday, and uh, I hear, I'm, I'm in one aisle looking around, and I, I hear in the next aisle, Oh, you little babies, you bougie, bougie. You know, you get like the baby talk that this old lady had, was doing this baby talk. And <laughs> baby talk, it's so stupid, isn't it? Like, we all do it, but it's like when you hear someone else doing it, it's just like, why do we do that? So dumb. And I'm hearing this, and but there's just, so I'm making fun of the lady in my mind, but then there's another part of me that's like, I want to see the baby. <laughs> and so I'm, I'll poke around there. I want to get, see what that baby looks like. It was a dog. <laughs> 
<laughs> Someone had their dog in the cart. I'm thinking in the past 2,000 years, babies and dogs have come so far. They've climbed the social ladder. So, so they have made up a ton of ground. So back then, that's not what's going on with small children. Okay, it's not that they weren't valued in any way. It's that they had absolutely no social status whatsoever. And the thought of your child running your household like they often do today, no, that's not going down uh, back then at, at all. Um, and also, a lot of the smaller children, they didn't gain value until they knew that that child was going to live. The mortality rate for smaller kids was, was way higher back then. And so it wasn't until a child reached, you know, 10, 11, 12, that they became, they became really valuable at that point because they're going to make it. That was kind of how they, how they saw it. And so to receive a small child and to respect them would be to set aside your prestige, set aside any social status or rank that you may have. You, you would have to set that aside in order to give a small child like that your attention and your respect. And so Jesus is using that child to represent the lowly, the insignificant in his kingdom. And he's saying, if you can show, set aside that prestige and show them the same love and respect and acceptance that you would anybody else and not show partiality, that's what greatness looks like in my kingdom. That's what it means to look great. That's what it means to behave great. And so, you know, we shouldn't be looking around arguing that we're the greatest. We should be looking around trying to find people to, to, you know, to meet their needs and to serve them. That's what you should be doing if you want to achieve greatness. That should be what the conversation is. What needs are you meeting? How are you humbling yourself and, and being self-sacrificial in the lives of any and everyone around you, regardless of the social status that they may or may not have? And of course, you know, in the epistles, we see the same lesson taught over and over. I think of James chapter 2, where this is where James says, My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in, if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, You sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, You stand over there, or sit down at my feet. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? So it's over and over again that we learn this same lesson. It's, it's also a repetitive lesson in Scripture. Don't show partiality. When you're talking about people in the kingdom, man, we want to serve them all. We want to serve them all. And when we do that, that's serving God. You see how Jesus took that right back to his heavenly father. He who receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me, receives not me, but him who sent me. This behavior, this, this behavior of greatness that we're supposed to carry out or see play out in our lives. This is directly attached to what we think about God, how we worship God, and who we are in relationship to him. This is serving our king. We should see this type of service to any and everyone as service to our king. Now think about that. You think about that. If we are in a kingdom and a king requests something of you, 
Well, it would be an honor when someone of significance or prestige has a request or asks you to do something for them. Man, we just, we jump to it. Wow, there's somebody. I, I'm going I'm to especially go above and beyond because they are somebody, so I want to do my best because this matters because they matter. And what Jesus is saying in my kingdom, you need to take that, toward, that sort of attitude and apply it to everyone. If someone has a need, you meet it, and it's a privilege to meet that need. What if we took that? What if we really took that into our everyday lives? What if we really took that into our everyday lives? It is an absolute privilege to meet that need. Because as a follower of Christ, I am called to be a servant of all. We should want to jump to it. Because everybody is a somebody. Everyone is significant. That's, that's the approach. Jesus says, that's the approach you should take even with the least of these in my kingdom. So this new hierarchy of, of greatness and acceptance and receiving of others, this is, again, it's just a hard pill for them to swallow. And so John is standing there listening to this, and he's like, I, I, don't, I don't know about that, Jesus. What about this scenario here? He gives a scenario. Look in verse 38. John said to him, teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. In other words, what about this scenario, Jesus? We saw this guy casting out demons in your names, in, in your name, but he's not us. He's not, he's not in our, he's not in our, uh, our fold here. He's not, he's not one of us, not one of the 12. You know, I can understand, Jesus, if we're doing something great in your name out there, but what about this guy? He's not in the inner circle. He's not one of the three, like Peter, James, and John. Shouldn't we shut that down? Shouldn't we not receive him? You know, we have to remember something here when it comes to talking about disciples in Scripture. There are the 12 disciples, but there were lots of disciples of Jesus, okay? Lots of disciples of Jesus. We learn about the 12, and, and then we learn about that inner circle within the 12. But at times, you can look like in, in, in Luke's gospel in chapter 10, he sends out 72 disciples to preach and to heal and to cast out demons. And so there were a lot of disciples at times. And so when we're talking about the, the disciples of Jesus, we, we aren't always exclusively talking about the 12. Most of the time we are, but not all of the time. Well, they had encountered one of these who weren't a part of the 12. They were still a follower of Jesus. They still listened and believed in his teaching. And they were attempting, at least, to cast out demons in the name of Jesus. And so when they overheard this happening, they were like, wait a second, you don't get to do something great because you're not one of us. And so they stopped him. They stopped him. Said, so John's like, you're, you're not one of us. Here's that, hear that self-interest coming out again you would think if he had a legitimate concern he would, they would they would say like oh he wasn't using the name of jesus or his you know he was saying something wrong but this guy wasn't doing anything bad or wrong it's just that he wasn't one of us according to john here's how jesus responds to that in 39 through 41 but jesus said do not stop him for no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me for the one who is not against us is for us. For truly I say to you, whoever gives a cup of water to drink, uh, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ, 
will by no means lose his reward. So he re- Jesus is like, hey, don't stop that guy. Don't, don't stop that guy. He's doing something good. He's believing the right things. He's claiming to be a follower of mine. Don't stop that guy. And so let's not run wild with this, right? We always got to find balance in Scripture. We need to always consider the whole counsel of Scripture to really understand what Jesus is getting at. Is everyone who says they're a follower of Jesus a true follower of Jesus? Well, that's not necessarily what this is saying. Is everyone who claims uh, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and does that mean that everything that they're doing is okay and good and right? That's, that's not exactly what Jesus is saying. As a matter of fact, we remember Matthew 7, right, to find some balance here. Jesus said there's going to be people out there one day who say, did I not prophesy in your name? Did I not cast out demons in your name? Did I not preach in your name? And yet Jesus will say, I never knew you. So we have to balance that with that truth also, that just because someone says they're a Christian doesn't mean they're a Christian. But what Jesus is saying, that you can't just say just because this guy isn't in our inner circle that he can't be legit too. And so this kind of thing still plays out in, in Christianity, right, in our, in our society. A lot of times we, we tend to think, well, you know, a ministry or a preacher or a Christian is legitimate based on the name of the denomination on the front, based on the celebrity pastors they may follow, so on and so forth. And so we have to be really careful with that. We have to be really careful with that. We don't want to become overly judgmental all the time. Now, error is error, okay? So if someone is, it's one thing to call out error, right? He's not saying don't ever call out error. There's a lot of, a whole lot of scripture we could go that says we should call out error, but we should not be just trashing people or considering them not legitimate because they're not in the right circles. And so what John was, was trying to say, they don't get to be great because this is where the greatness is. Right? So I think today, like, I, I worry sometimes when we try to discern these things as believers, that we see the church down the street doing something great, and there's something that, that, that just inside our minds we start to think, mm, we give it the stink eye. That's not my church. They're doing something great. No, it, must, it must not be that great because they don't come here. Right? It's, it's not about what they're doing. It's not necessarily about what they believe that you agree with or don't disagree or, or agree with or not. It's, it's about the fact that they are doing something great and we're not the ones doing something great. I think sometimes we as believers and even as churches collectively, we start to think we are the only ones that are allowed to do something great. And so they can't be great because they're not one of us. That mentality creeps into the church it creeps into our minds and we need to be so careful with that right and so jesus is correcting that mentality because we're so prone to fall into that pattern fall into that cycle and so that's why it's so important that we study this pattern in scripture over and over and over because i think oftentimes we too are caught in that cycle when we are pursuing humility and if you contemplate humility in your life if you think you've, oh, you know what, I think I'm pretty humble, you're, you're back at square one, aren't you? <laughs> right? I mean, that's how that works. Just when you start to think you got the humility thing figured out, that is proof that you are back to square one 
in the cycle. You need to make it about Jesus. You need to make it about the death and resurrection of Jesus. You need to hear this teaching on humility to come back to our example of Jesus who gave his life for all to die for the sins of the world. That's who we are aspiring to be. That's, that's the life of greatness that you and I want to pursue, that mentality, that sacrificial mentality, because our king is the suffering servant, the greatest man who ever lived, the God-man who entered his creation and died for our sins to redeem us. And so that's the challenge today as we go into a time of communion, that we contemplate the gospel with that understanding that Jesus taught. We're coming back to his sacrifice every single week so that we can live sacrificially, so that we can be that light like he was. Let's pray. Lord, again, we thank you for an opportunity to look into your word and to be corrected by it. Lord, each and every one of us in here struggle with pride and self-interest. We know we gather here, and it's so easy to claim that we come here because of your death and resurrection. But Lord, inevitably, inevitably in our Christian faith, whether it be coming to church or trying to live out our faith at work or at home, inevitably we make it about us. Inevitably we turn inwardly and we stop serving others and we make Christianity as a means to serve ourselves, our ego, and establish our superiority over others. We got it together more than the church down the street. We got it together more than the family down the street or the people that we work with. Lord, please correct that in us. It's by your grace that we would see that ugliness inside our hearts and minds that we could put it to death. Lord, help us to not show partiality. Help us to rejoice when the church down the street does something good and righteous. Help us to rejoice, Lord, when we see the Christian that isn't a part of our circles of faith doing something good or proclaiming your name or making much of your gospel. Help us to rejoice in that. Not ever be jealous of it. Lord, we want to, we want to serve the kingdom in the type of greatness that you have prescribed. And that's in humility and in sacrifice. Lord, help us to contemplate those things as we take communion with one another today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.